Hey, this is Shelly Zan, and this is the Impact Over Influence podcast. I hope that you receive whatever it is that God has for you today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Impact Over Influence. I'm Shelly Zan, and I just want to tell you thank you for being here. Thank you for clicking on this podcast to be able to join me today. And one thing I want to just start off by asking is if you've ever heard this phrase, I've heard this phrase my entire life, and a lot of times it's it's said for different meanings, but have you ever heard anyone say, what you see is what you get? Maybe they're saying this about someone else, like, oh, well, what you see is what you get with them, or maybe it's pertaining to themselves, like, hey, look, with me, what you see is what you get. And this is said as a form of honesty, right? As a form of transparency. So as we th- say that, as we think about that, I want us to ask ourselves this. Does God really get what he sees in us? Meaning this, if he looks upon you as what, how you're acting on the outside, what you're saying on the outside, how you're dressing on the outside, whatever your behavior is, if he looks in your heart, is that what he sees? I feel like the second that we quit having our relationship with Christ, stop with self-evaluation we're just we're being uh we're not we're not being attentive like we're supposed to be and so with that being said I want to read to you a verse real quick in 2 Corinthians 13 5 it tells us to examine ourselves it's something that we should constantly do scripture talks about this before we partake in the in the in communion you know like search your heart Know what's going on. And guys, only whenever you're isolated with God can are you able to do this. I know for me, for some people that I love, y'all, there is some rooted in stuff that you thought was gone and it's not. And it's because we aren't spending alone time intimate with God for him to be able to bring stuff up to us. And when he does that, maybe it has something to do with you, but it's something that's surrounding you. These are things that we have to understand. Scripture tells us that we are the house of the Holy Spirit. We are the holy temple of God. But what else is in that house too? What else is a part of us too? 2 Corinthians 13, 8. For we cannot do anything against truth, but only for the truth. So if that's us, that's how we're living, we can't do anything against it. Instead, we're doing things for it. We are advocating for the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what is seen and that's what people are getting. But you see, other than that, we just have a Christian name tag on us. But really the behavior and the feeling and the and the speech, anything that comes from us that other people are getting is not what they are seeing. It does not add up. I want us to be a kind of people. I want to be the kind of person that what people see might be flesh because I'm human. I'm just a woman. I'm just a mom. I'm just 33 years old. I'm just a hairstylist. I'm, you know, that's what they see. But what they get is Jesus through me. That's what they're getting. I don't want to just be a what you see is what you get because what you see is going to be a flawed person. But I pray that when you are alone with me and you seek time with me, that what you get is a woman that is like-minded with Jesus Christ. I want to not go against his truth, but instead advocate for his truth. That to be my purpose. 
Life throws so many things at us in our friendships and our families and our jobs. And Jesus in us might be the only glimpse of the light that is present. That's a responsibility that we carry that we should want to carry. You know, it makes me think of recently Wesley lost his sister. And uh, one thing, I was out of town. I was in Israel. And so I was not here for any of it. I was very, felt abandoned by the Lord because I knew he, he knew, he goes before me. He knows what is coming, yet he separated us still. You know, I could have not gone on the trip. I could not left Wesley alone with our kids and our responsibilities while he's there for his parents. Such a tragic time, you know. And I was just like, God, why would you do this? Like, he needs me. I'm his person. But when I got home, I heard something repeated to me, y'all, by everybody. Family, friends, neighbors, um, his cousins. Everybody came up to me and they said one thing. They were like, man, I don't know how he did it. Wesley did so much. I don't know how he did it. And my response is because of Jesus in him. What you thought you would see, but yet the strength that only comes from Jesus Christ, the peace that only comes from Jesus Christ, the comfort that only comes from him is what's able to sustain us in a time that what you thought you would get would have been not what actually was happening. Jesus, that's the answer. Jesus. And even though I wasn't there to witness it or be a part of it or, or, or be the helper, you know, Christ was. And he's where I can't be at all times. And I just, now looking back, I find so much relief in that. I don't know where that came from, so there's that. Back to what you see is what you get. You know, in Israel, when we were there, I want to touch on this real quick. I'm going to be reading out of John 7. So if you do have your Bible handy and you're doing this with me, cool. If you're listening somewhere, just turn the volume up a little bit. But uh, when we were in Israel, my friend Kara that kind of orchestrated our group, she has a Sasa Caradas podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. I just want to shout her out for a minute. But Kara lined this whole group up, and so she knew we were going to all these different destinations, according to Scripture, and so she would ask each one of us to bring a word, per se, just to speak to our group. You know, really short, no pressure, three minutes long, no big deal. Well, what she had asked me to do whenever I, I told her, yes, I'd be willing to help you, what, what she got for me, she was like, Capernaum. And I was like, Capernaum? Okay. Um, I know, I've heard, I know decent enough about Scripture in the New Testament to know that Capernaum is where Jesus did a lot of ministry, y'all. He healed people. He performed miracles. He taught. Peter lived in Capernaum. Like, Capernaum was where he resided. He always went back there. He stayed there. You know, so I was like, man, that's deep, but how do you narrow that down? You know, like, what how, What am I supposed to, I was just praying, like, Lord, what, what part do you want me to pick from with this? Well, when we got there, we were in Israel. I think that we went there maybe on the third day. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the third day, because we stayed on the Sea of Galilee for a good while. Capernaum is a little fisherman town off the Sea of Galilee. Um, so it was such a big spot back then, you know, when Jesus was there. And so we go there, and that was the first place we went. You walk in these big gates, and they make you wear a skirt and cover up. I mean, it's sacred over there. And there's a sign on the very front that says, Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Well, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know he was raised in Nazareth. 
right? So why do they identify Capernaum with being such a big part? Well, we know why, because of his ministry, because of things that he did there, because of the holiness and the presence of God and the way the Spirit was operating through Jesus at that time. Capernaum was it, y'all. Like, it was stout. And so on our trip, this being the third day, by the time we got there was the first time everywhere else we had gone was very much a vicinity, even Mount Precipice, all these places, you know, it's like we didn't know exactly where Jesus stood or where he walked, but this mountain or this cliff or this town or this valley, right? But when you get to Capernaum and the temple there is still standing, the columns are still there. If you've never seen this, go Google it right now. After you, actually, after you listen to this podcast, go Google it and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You'll have a visual. There's different entrances, but there's only three archways. And so I knew this specific spot is where he walked in. These steps are actually where he stood and taught. And y'all, I was just shook up. I was just like, you know, I love the word of God. I love speaking the word of God. I love reading the word of God. I love teaching the word of God. I love telling people things that are in the living word. And he did too in the same book that he read from. Those scrolls that he recited, the words that were being jotted down at this particular spot, other people were keeping record of what he was saying right here. And I was just overwhelmed of the fact that I would be asked, that he would lay on someone's heart to ask me to say something there. So, as time went on and I was just praying, you know, like, okay, Lord, what are you wanting me to, Capernaum, what do you want me to say about what you did in Capernaum? This is what he laid on me and this is what I'm going to give to you today. Because with Jesus, what he saw isn't just what he got from people. He picked the ones that were lowly, that were outcasts, that were sinners. And he saw something in them. Even then what they saw in themselves, just like he sees something in me that I don't see in myself. He says he's something in you listening right now that you probably don't see in yourself. And he also looks on the heart to where the ones that, that were that, that dress the right way and they talk the right way and they do all the rituals the right way. What he sees is not what he gets because what people see is something that is together, that is formal, that is known and noble. Yet Jesus looks on the heart and he sees malice and he sees jealousy and he sees discord and he sees bitterness. And we have to remain in him so that these things are exposed in us so that we really are what he wants us to be. So the part that I end up talking about in Capernaum, like I said, this particular, what I'm going to read to you from is actually right after he performed Feeding the 5,000. Um, he's been healing people. He's been teaching. He's been giving testimony. He's been doing the things, okay? Right after he feeds the 5,000, this is uh, what he speaks about. This is what starts coming. This is what he starts delivering. And it was not easy. So Jesus goes back and he starts to teach this right here. Jewish people are around them. These are followers of Jesus that are around him, listening to him. But he gives them something that's not exactly easy to chew on. 
he ends up trying to to be sure that they know who sent him. And you got to understand, these people, they're still looking for the Messiah. Jews are to this day. But these people right here, they're listening to things they've never heard, yet they're intrigued by it, right? Because the things that he's saying, they're like, how could he know this unless he was of the Father? Yet believing that he is of the Father is nothing that they really want to accept, especially when he delivers what he's about to deliver to them. I'm going to start in verse John 6, 39, and I'm really just going to try to preface and then, but then kind of skip around. So just follow me, okay? Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall loose none of all those he has given me, but raise him up at the last day for my father's will is that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. He makes it very clear. This is who I am. This is the will of my father. But at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him and said, I'm the bread. And he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how now can he say, I came down from heaven? Because they are believing what they are seeing. They think that they are getting what they are seeing. They're like, we know his mama and daddy. We know where he comes from. We know his hometown. And now he's trying to tell us that he came down from heaven. You see where the doubt starts to creep in because they're hearing things that are foreign to them. They're hearing things that don't make sense. They're, they're asked right now by the spirit of God to believe something that they do not see. They're wanting it to be surface level. They're wanting it to be apparent instead of choosing for their heart to be what gravitates for him. And now Jesus knows what's going on. Now he starts delivering the punch, okay? I'm going to go to um, 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day as it is written by the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one that is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He's the nourishment. But this is where it comes into it, okay? Bread of life, and now what he's about to say. Verse 47, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which any of you may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Okay, so they're thinking he's literally talking about bread. And he's trying to, he's trying to tell that we know that Jesus talked in parables. He talked in things that you would have to, you, they would have to discern but might seem confusing for them. Yet whenever you have the Spirit in you, things become more clear because the Spirit of God speaks to you. Therefore, it's not fake. Therefore, it's not confusing. Therefore, it's able, the ability to be able to hold on to it is there. Then he goes on in 53. I'm not going to read that whole thing. But he tells them, unless you eat of, eat of me, of my flesh, and drink of my blood, you cannot partake with my father. So these people were like, you're talking about us. We need to eat you. Now we need to drink your blood. Like this is sketchy to them. Think about if that was being told. You know, we judge the people judge the Jewish people for being disbelieving. Yet this is hard to grasp onto. This, these things right here, I'm sure in their time, it was hard to accept. It's hard for people to accept the kingdom of God right now. 
and the desperation that we see in the United States. People are, it's still hard to come on that believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah can truly change your world, but it's the truth. Just because people don't believe it doesn't mean that it's not the truth. But if we go to this, this, this text and read these scriptures with some uh, a grace and, and a sense of just try to be understanding, it was very hard for them to hold on to. But I want to read 57. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on the bread will live forever. So he's repeating himself, y'all. Anytime Jesus repeats himself, he's trying to get the point across. Just because you eat food does not mean you will not die. I'm giving you the nourishment that is everlasting. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. That's the exact same spot that I was at. Verse 60. This is their response, guys. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They're like, hold up. This makes no sense. This seems morbid. And you got to understand, y'all, these people, blood and things that were unclean was so wrong in their eyes. The rules and the way that they showed reverence to God was so fearful. It was so fearful. We want to do right. We want to make this thing. We can't do this. We can do this. We have to do that. All these laws that have been passed down over the years in this culture, among this people, in this religion, that's still in there today. Yet we don't come to Jesus out of fear because we don't want to go to hell. We come to Jesus out of love that he would literally show mercy and grace on us for all the things that we've done wrong. That's why Jesus seeks repentance. And when you receive Christ, it's because you realize that there's a need for him. And that receiving comes on believing in who he really is and what he really did. That's how we wrap our mind around this. Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, did this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he has been before? This is him going back up to heaven. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 66, for many, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I started off by giving you a little insight to know that Jesus was the man at this time. Y'all, he just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Y'all, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people that heard the word of God, that realized he was who he was, that were exposed to who he was, I should say. They've been exposed to him. He performed a miracle right before their eyes, y'all. Can you imagine all the fans coming to the surface? That's the point of this whole text I'm reading you. All the fans are like, oh, this guy, we want to follow this guy. That's why it said the disciples were with him. It didn't say just the 12 disciples were with him. People that are following Christ, just as you and I, that are disciples of Jesus Christ, we follow him. These are people that were following him. Yet when he delivered a message that was hard to accept, that unless you partake in me, 
I give you nourishment that will never, ever, ever run dry. But because it was a hard teaching, it was hard to accept. It was out of the box. They were like, we're out. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They said, I'm out. The point of this entire thing and this teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum is that Jesus didn't want fans. He wanted freedom. And when we think of freedom in Christ, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want to. Instead, we have freedom to approach God the Father Almighty. We have freedom from a suffering a consequence from our sin. We have freedom to share the gospel with other people. We have freedom of actually having his spirit abide inside of us. Y'all are going to hear that word abide from me for a long time from now. So just go ahead and get ready for that. But you see, he was okay with them turning back. Yet he looks at the 12. The 12, remember, Judas is still there. And Jesus addresses that in this text. He looks at the 12. He's like, all right, are y'all going to dip out also? Peter's like, no, because we know you are the Holy One of God. I want to ask you, if Jesus revealed to you a message through Scripture, maybe he has recently and it's been really hard for you to hear. Maybe it's something about forgiveness. Maybe it's something about conviction, something you're convicted of, and it's a message you've never heard before. And maybe it's been really hard to even wrap your mind around, like, does this mean what this says? I need some help. But you've received a message from Jesus, and it's been a little hard to accept. The truth is not always easy to accept, but the truth sets us free. I want to encourage you not to just run, not to just leave, but to accept and to know that he's given you this for a reason. And what God appoints is not what man always appoints, but what God appoints is everlasting it will lead you. It will guide you. More than that, it will protect you. The thing about it is, and the things that Jesus asked us to do, it's not so that we will do things out of obligation or out of fear. It's to protect us. Like God gives us rules to keep us safe, to keep us in unity with him, to make sure we are aligned. Why? Because he loves us. Same thing with your kids, right? Whenever my daughter's four years old and she thinks she is pioneer woman cooking stuff up in the kitchen, like loves it, plays like she has a cooking show, all the things. But yet I'm not going to let her be turned loose with the propane stove right now, right? Why? Because I want to protect her. I know that she's not ready yet to do that. But when I tell her no, she thinks I'm a big girl. I'm ready to do it. And you know how much I do that to my God. God, I'm ready for it. God, let's do it. And the whole time, God's like, no, because it would be dangerous for you if I let you do this yet. One day you can cook, McLaren. One day you can do all the things on this stove. But right now it's not time. And I hear the father tell that to his children right now this day. Like, look, it's just not time yet. I'm still trying to protect you right now. But there's nothing more that I want than to be in alignment with him and to also not feel like I need to just give messages so that I make people feel good. But instead, I want to give messages that might be hard to accept because he's given me ones that are a little hard to accept. And my job is to just give you whatever he's given me. There's a phrase that I've kind of been holding on to. I actually said it last night, and I really didn't even understand the weight of what it was. But I said that the gospel would either make people hungry or hostile. 
You see all the people that turned away from Jesus that day and they left him. Then they start gossiping about him. Then they start wanting to rage about him. Then they're like, he's false. He's wrong. He's this. And the Jewish leaders are hunting him down because the gospel and the truth makes people hostile. Scripture has made me be hostile before. I wanted to prove it wrong. I wanted to be defiant against it. I wanted to be rebellious. Maybe that's been you before. I don't know. Or the gospel makes you hungry. After I said that last time, a good friend of mine started really picking apart that because it hit her. And I'm so thankful that she did because I love hearing how God speaks to someone through me when it didn't, I didn't even get it. Like I didn't even get that that was that big of a deal. Um, therefore, I know that it wasn't of myself. It wasn't something pre-meditated on. But instead, it was just me just trying to be obedient and giving something out. And so this really hit her. And she said something to me this morning about hunger. And, you know, hunger is just the desire of nourishment. Your body tells you, like, hey, I need this. I want this. But sometimes we don't lean into God on what he says that we need. Luckily, whenever he tells us that he is the bread of life, y'all, what does that do for a hungry person? It feeds them. It feeds them into eternity. If, if you expose something or you speak on something, I want to read you a verse real quick in John 7, 7. Jesus is telling his brothers, my time has not yet come here yet for you. Any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Jesus said, I tell the world that the, what the world is doing is wrong. That's what that verse just says. I testify that the works of the world are evil. That's why I'm hated. And when it comes to being a believer this day, that's such a hard line because we want to love like Jesus loved, yet we don't want to accept what the world is pushing at us. But we do want to love the world just as he loved the world that he died for it. But that, that is a hard, hard line right there. It is for me. Because how do you love what you don't agree with? But being over there in Israel, y'all, being a Christian, that is not liked over there. It is not received over there. You can't take a Bible into certain places. You are not loved on. But they're willing to stand up for what they believe is true. But when that comes to us, if we go to people with wrath and rage instead of acceptance, accept the person but not the sin is such a hard thing for believers. People want one of two things behind the pulpit. They want a fire message that steps on your toes and makes you get right, or they want to feel good to where I can keep doing the things that I'm doing and grace will cover it. Yet I think what Jesus was trying to do, what he did do, not what he tried to do, what he did do was just give truth. To just give truth, and that's all that he expects out of us. And if people turn away and they quit following, okay, that wasn't, it's not our job to keep him in the first place. It's his job. He knows who he is called. He knows who he is speaking to. He looks on the heart because what he sees is different than what we get. He sees the heart. And the good part about God is that when it comes to him, to God, when it comes to God, what we see is just the beginning of what we actually get from him. So I want you to think about that. If you observe the, the, the world, guys, we saw a hibiscus flower grow out of a rock over there in Israel. Like things, look at the ocean. Look at the mountains. Look at the creatures. 
If you're a mama, think about when you gave birth. Like things, God has given us so much evidence to how awesome he is, how he just makes things that we could never imagine in our lives, how he creates so many species of fish that are beautiful, how he just molds the earth to where it has canyons and mountains and rivers. Think about things that God has created. Think about you. How much detail went into making you. What we see about God, believing that he is the creator of all things. What we see is only a start of what we actually get. Because the evidence around us is encouragement for what he can do in us and through us. To know, God, if you can do that, if you can do that, you can make something out of me. And you created me. You want to know the purpose of something? Ask the one that made it. I just pray that we will start opening up our minds to realize the importance of what he's trying to lay before us. For me, especially, to your question as we end, what is taking up room inside of you? What's taking up room inside of you? If, if you were to hear a hard truth or if you were to have something, is it easy for you to accept or do you want to run the opposite direction? For me, I've done a little bit of both because my personality is to self-protect. To say like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm going to take care of myself. Because the thought of being hurt is just horrendous to me. But I never, I want to always run to Jesus, not from Jesus. Why? Because he is the bread of life and he is the nourishment that I need. And by partaking in him and having his blood cover me from my head to my toes, he covers my words, he covers my thoughts, he covers my heart. He is a part of me and he will take care of us because he loves us. And I pray that his word makes us more hungry for more of his word, that his presence make us hunger for more of his presence, that his love make us hunger for more of his love. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I pray that you share this podcast with someone that you love. Thank you so much for listening. And I encourage you that you can have a relationship with the one that created you. So spread Jesus.